Marcella by Mrs. Humphrey Ward. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Marcella, Chapter 4, recorded by Cheryl Martin. How kind of you, said the rector's sister enthusiastically, but I thought you would come and help us. And as Marcella took some of her burdens from her, Miss Hardin kissed Marcella's cheek with a sort of timid eagerness. She had fallen in love with Miss Boyce from the beginning, was now just advanced to this privilege of kissing, and being entirely convinced that her new friend possessed all virtues and all knowledge, found it not difficult to hold that she had been divinely sent to sustain her brother and herself in the disheartening task of civilizing Mellor. Mary Hardin was naturally a short, roundly made girl, neither pretty nor plain, with grey-blue eyes, a shy manner, and a heart all goodness. Her brother was like unto her, also short, round, and full-faced, with the same attractive eyes. Both were singularly young in aspect, a boy and girl pair. Both had the worn, pinched look which Mrs. Boyce complained of, and which, indeed, went oddly with their whole physique. It was as though creatures built for a normal life of easy give-and-take with their fellows had fallen upon some unfitting and jarring experience. One striking difference, indeed, there was between them, for amid the brothers' timidity and sweetness there lay, clearly to be felt and seen, the consciousness of the priest, nascent and immature, but already urging and characteristic. Only one face of the three showed any other emotion than quick pleasure at the sight of Marcella Boyce. Aldous Rayburn was clearly embarrassed thereby. Indeed, as he laid down his gun outside the low churchyard wall, while Marcella and the Hardens were greeting, that generally self-possessed, though modest person was conscious of a quite disabling perturbation of mind. Why, in the name of all good manners and decency, had he allowed himself to be discovered in shooting trim, on that particular morning, by Mr. Boyce's daughter on her father's land, and within a stone's throw of her father's house?' Was he not perfectly well aware of the curt note which his grandfather had that morning dispatched to the new owner of Mellor? Had he not ineffectually tried to delay execution the night before, thereby puzzling and half-offending his grandfather? Had not the incident weighed on him, ever since, wounding an admiration and sympathy which seemed to have stolen upon him in the dark during these few weeks since he had made Miss Boyce's acquaintance, so strong and startling did he all in a moment feel them to be, and then to intrude upon her thus, out of nothing apparently but sheer moth-like incapacity to keep away? The church footpath indeed was public property, and Miss Hardin's burdens had cried aloud to any passing male to help her. But why in this neighborhood at all? Why not rather on the other side of the county?' He could have scourged himself on the spot for an unpardonable breach of manners and feeling. However, Miss Boyce certainly made no sign. She received him without any impressment, but also without the smallest symptom of offense. They all moved into the church together, Mr. Rayburn carrying a vast bundle of ivy and fern, 
the rector and his sister laden with closely packed baskets of cut flowers. Everything was laid down on the chancel steps beside Marcella's contribution, and then the Hardens began to plan out operations. Miss Harden ran over on her fingers the contributions which had been sent in to the rectory, or were presently coming over to the church in a handcart. "'Lord Maxwell has sent the most beautiful pots for the chancel,' she said, with a grateful look at young Rayburn. "'It will be quite a show,' to which the young rector assented warmly. "'It was very good indeed of Lord Maxwell to remember them always so liberally at times like these, when they had so little direct claim upon him. They were not his church or his parish, but he never forgot them all the same, and Mellor was grateful.' The rector had all his sister's gentle effusiveness, but a professional dignity besides, even in his thanks, which made itself felt. Marcella flushed as he was speaking. "'I went to see what I could get in the way of greenhouse things,' she said in a proud voice. "'But we have nothing. There are the houses, but there is nothing in them. But you shall have all our out-of-door flowers.' "'and I think a good deal might be done with autumn leaves and wild things, if you will let me try.' A speech which brought a flush to Mr. Rayburn's cheek as he stood in the background and led Mary Harden into an eager asking of Marcella's counsels and an eager praising of her flowers. Aldous Rayburn said nothing, but his discomfort increased with every moment. Why had his grandfather been so officious in this matter of the flowers?' all very well when Mellor was empty, or in the days of a miser and eccentric without womankind like Robert Boyce. But now the act began to seem to him offensive, a fresh affront offered to an unprotected girl whose quivering, sensitive look as she stood talking to the Hardens touched him profoundly. Mellor Church might almost be regarded as the Boyce's private chapel, so bound up was it with the family and the house. He realized painfully that he ought to be gone, yet could not tear himself away. Her passionate willingness to spend herself for the place and people she had made her own at first sight, checked every now and then by a proud and sore reserve, it was too pretty, too sad. It stung and spurred him as he watched her. One moment his foot moved for departure, the next he was resolving that somehow or other he must make speech with her. "'Excuse. Explain. Ridiculous. How was it possible that he should do either? "'He had met her, perhaps had tried to meet her, "'tolerably often since their first chance encounter weeks ago in the vicarage drawing-room. "'All through there had been on his side the uncomfortable knowledge "'of his grandfather's antipathy to Richard Boyce, "'and of the social steps to which that antipathy would inevitably lead.' but Miss Boyce had never shown the smallest consciousness, so far, of anything untoward or unusual in her position. She had been clearly taken up with the interest and pleasure of this new spectacle upon which she had entered. The old house, its associations, its history, the beautiful country in which it lay, the speech and characteristics of rural labor as compared with that of the town— he had heard her talk of all these things with a freshness, a human sympathy, a freedom from conventional phrase, and, no doubt, a touch of egotism and extravagance, which riveted attention. 
the egotism and extravagance however after a first moment of critical discomfort on his part had not in the end repelled him at all the girl's vivid beauty glorified them made them seem to him a mere special fullness of life so that in his new preoccupation with herself and by contact with her frank self-confidence he had almost forgotten her position and his own indirect relation to it then had come that unlucky note from melor his grandfather's prompt reply to it his own ineffective protest and now this tongue-tiedness this clumsy intrusion which she must feel to be an indelicacy an outrage suddenly he heard miss harden saying with penitent emphasis i am stupid i have left the scissors and the wire on the table at home we can't go on without them it is really too bad of me i will go for them said marcella promptly here is the handcart just arrived and some people come to help you can't be spared i will be back directly and gathering up her black skirt in a slim white hand she sped down the church and was out of the south door before the hardens had time to protest or aldous raeburn understood what she was doing a vexed word from miss harden enlightened him and he went after the fugitive overtaking her just where his gun and dog lay outside the churchyard let me go miss boyce he said as he caught her up my dog and i will run there and back but marcella hardly looked at him or paused oh no she said quickly i should like the walk he hesitated then with a flush which altered his usually quiet self-contained expression he moved on beside her allow me to go with you then you are sure to find fresh loads to bring back if it's like our harvest festival the things keep dropping in all day marcella's eyes were still on the ground i thought you were on your way to shoot mr raeburn so i was but there is no hurry if i can be useful both the birds and the keeper can wait where are you going to some outlying fields of ours on the windmill hill there is a tenant there who wants to see me he is a prosy person with a host of grievances i took my gun as a possible means of escape from him windmill hill i know the name oh i remember it was there my father has just been telling me that your father and he shot the pair of kestrels when they were boys together her tone was quite light but somehow it had an accent an emphasis which made aldous raeburn supremely uncomfortable in his disquiet he thought of various things to say but he was not ready nor naturally effusive the turn of them did not please him and he remained silent meantime marcella's heart was beating fast she was meditating a coup mr raeburn yes will you think me a very extraordinary person if i ask you a question your father and mine were great friends weren't they as boys your family and mine were friends altogether i believe so i have always heard so said her companion flushing still redder you knew uncle robert lord maxwell did yes as much as anyone knew him but oh i know he shut himself up and hated his neighbors still you knew him and papa and your father were boys together well then if you won't mind telling me i know it's bold to ask but i have reasons why does lord maxwell write to papa in the third person and why has your aunt 
Miss Rayburn never found time in all these weeks to call on Mama. She turned and faced him, her splendid eyes one challenge. The glow and fire of the whole gesture, the daring of it, and yet the suggestion of womanish weakness in the hand which trembled against her dress, and then the twitching lip, if it had been fine acting, it could not have been more complete. And, in a sense, acting there was in it. Marcella's emotions were real, but her mind seldom deserted her. One half of her was impulsive and passionate. The other half looked on and put in finishing touches. Acting or no, the surprise of her outburst swept the man beside her off his feet. He found himself floundering in a sea of excuses, not for his relations, but for himself. He ought never to have intruded. It was odious, unpardonable. He had no business whatever to put himself in her way. Would she please understand that it was an accident? It should not happen again. He quite understood that she could not regard him with friendliness, and so on. He had never so lost his self-possession. Meanwhile, Marcella's brows contracted. She took his excuses as a fresh offense. "'You mean—' "'I suppose that I have no right to ask such questions,' she cried, "'that I am not behaving like a lady as one of your relations would? "'Well, I dare say, I was not brought up like that. "'I was not brought up at all. "'I have had to make myself, so you must avoid me if you like. "'Of course you will. "'But I resolved there, in the church, "'that I would make just one effort, "'before everything crystallizes, to break through.' If we must live on here hating our neighbors and being cut by them, I thought I would just ask you why first. There is no one else to ask. Hardly anybody has called except the Hardens and a few new people that don't matter. And I have nothing to be ashamed of, said the girl passionately, nor has Mama. Papa, I suppose, did some bad things long ago. I have never known. I don't know now what they were. But I should like to understand." Is everybody going to cut us because of that? With a great effort, Aldous Rayburn pulled himself together, certain fine instincts both of race and conduct coming to his help. He met her excited look by one which had both dignity and friendliness. I will tell you what I can, Miss Boyce. If you ask me, it is right I should. You must forgive me if I say anything that hurts you. I will try not. I will try not, he repeated earnestly. In the first place, I know hardly anything in detail. I do not remember that I have ever wished to know. But I gather that some years ago, when I was still a lad, something in Mr. Boyce's life, some financial matters, I believe, during the time that he was Member of Parliament, made a scandal, and especially among his family and old friends. It was the effect upon his old father, I think, who, as you know, died soon afterwards. Marcella started. I, I didn't know, she said quickly. Aldous Rayburn's distress grew. I really oughtn't to speak of these things, he said, for I don't know them accurately. But I want to answer what you said. I do indeed. It was that, I think, chiefly. Everybody here respected and loved your grandfather. My grandfather did and there was great feeling for him. I see, I see, said Marcella, her chest heaving, and against Papa. She walked on quickly, 
hardly seeing where she was going, her eyes dim with tears. There was a wretched pause. Then Aldous Rayburn broke out. But after all, it is very long ago, and there may have been some harsh judgment. My grandfather may have been misinformed as to some of the facts, and I—he hesitated, struck with the awkwardness of what he was going to say. But Marcella understood him. "'And you will try and make him alter his mind?' she said, not ungratefully, but still with a touch of sarcasm in her tone. "'No, Mr. Rayburn, I don't think that will succeed.' They walked on in silence for a little while. At last he said, turning upon her a face in which she could not but see the true feeling of a just and kindly man. I meant that if my grandfather could be led to express himself in a way which Mr. Boyce could accept, even if there were no great friendship as there used to be, there might be something better than this, this which, which is so painful. In any way, Miss Boyce, whatever happens, will you let me say this once, that there is no word, no feeling in this neighborhood, how could there be, towards you and your mother, but one of respect and admiration? Do believe that, even if you feel that you can never be friendly towards me and mine again, or forget the things I have said. Respect and admiration, said Marcella, wondering and still scornful. Pity, perhaps. There might be that. But anyway, Mama goes with Papa. She always has done. She always will. So shall I, of course. But I am sorry, horribly sore and sorry. I was so delighted to come here. I have been very little at home, and understood hardly anything about this worry, not how serious it was, nor what it meant. Oh, I am sorry. There was so much I wanted to do here. If anybody could only understand what it means to me to come to this place. They had reached the brow of a little rising ground. Just below them, beyond a stubble field in which there were a few bent forms of gleaners, lay the small scattered tillage, hardly seen amid its trees, the curls of its blue smoke ascending steadily on this calm September morning against a great belt of distant beechwood, which begirt the hamlet and the common along which it lay. The stubble field was a feast of shade and tint, of apricots and golds shot with the subtlest purples and browns. The flame of the wild cherry leaf and the deeper crimson of the haws made every hedge a wonder. The apples gleamed in the cottage garden, and a cloudless sun poured down on field and hedge, and on the half-hidden medley of tiled roofs, sharp gables, and jutting dormers which made the village. Instinctively, both stopped. Marcella locked her hands behind her in a gesture familiar to her in moments of excitement. The light wind blew back her dress in soft, eddying folds. For the moment, in her tall grace, she had the air of some young victory poised upon a height, till you looked at her face, which was, indeed, not exultant at all, but tragic, extravagantly tragic, as Aldous Rayburn, in his English reserve, would perhaps have thought in the case of any woman with tamer eyes and a less winning mouth. I don't want to talk about myself, she began, but you know, Mr. Rayburn, you must know what a state of things there is here. You know what a disgrace that village is. Oh, one reads books, but I never thought people could actually live like that, here in the wide country, with room for all. 
It makes me lie awake at night. We are not rich. We are very poor. The house is all out of repair, and the estate, as of course you know, is in a wretched condition. But when I see these cottages and the water and the children, I ask what right we have to anything we get. I had some friends in London who were socialists, and I followed and agreed with them. But here one sees. Yes, indeed, it is too great a risk to let the individual alone when all these lives depend upon him. Uncle Robert was an eccentric and a miser. And look at the death rate of the village. Look at the children. You can see how it has crushed the Hardens already. No, we have no right to it. It ought to be taken from us. Some day it will be taken from us. Aldous Rayburn smiled and was himself again. A woman's speculations were easier to deal with than a woman's distress. It is not so hopeless as that, I think, he said kindly. The Mellor cottages are in a bad state, certainly. But you have no idea how soon a little energy and money and thought sets things to right. But we have no money, cried Marcella, and if he is miserable here, my father will have no energy to do anything. He will not care what happens. He will defy everybody and just spend what he has on himself. And it will make me wretched, wretched. Look at that cottage to the right, Mr. Drayburn. It is Jim Hurd's, a man who works mainly on the church farm when he is in work. But he is deformed and not so strong as others. The farmers, too, seem to be cutting down labor everywhere. Of course, I don't understand. I am so new to it. Hurd and his family had an awful winter, last winter. Harley kept body and soul together. And now he is out of work already. The man at the church farm turned him off directly after harvest. He sees no prospect of getting work by the winter. He spends his days tramping to look for it. But nothing turns up. Last winter they parted with all they could sell. This winter it must be the workhouse. It's heartbreaking. And he has a mind. He can feel. I lend him the labor paper I take in and get him to talk. He has more education than most, and, oh, the bitterness at the bottom of him. But not against persons, individuals. It is like a sort of blind patience when you come to that. They make excuses even for Uncle Robert, to whom they have paid rent all these years for a cottage which is a crime. Yes, a crime. The woman must have been such a pretty creature. And refined, too. She is consumptive, of course. What else could you expect with that cottage and that food? So is the eldest boy, a little white atomy. And the other children. Talk of London. I never saw such sickly objects as there are in this village. Twelve shillings a week. And work about half the year? Oh, they ought to hate us. I try to make them, cried Marcella, her eyes gleaming. They ought to hate all of us landowners and the whole wicked system. It keeps them from the land which they ought to be sharing with us. It makes one man master instead of all men brothers. And who is fit to be master? Which of us? Everybody is so ready to take charge of other people's lives and then look at the result. Well, the result, even in rural England, is not always so bad, said Aldous Rayburn, smiling a little, but more coldly. 
Marcella, glancing at him, understood in a moment that she had roused a certain family and class pride in him, a pride which was not going to assert itself, but nonetheless implied the sudden opening of a gulf between herself and him. In an instant her quick imagination realized herself as the daughter and niece of two discredited members of a great class. When she attacked the class, or the system, the man beside her, any man in similar circumstances, must naturally think, "'Ah, well, poor girl, Dick Boyce's daughter, what can you expect?' Whereas, all this Rayburn? She thought of the dignity of the Maxwell name, of the width of the Maxwell possessions, balanced only by the high reputation of the family for honorable, just, and Christian living, whether as amongst themselves or towards their neighbors and dependents. A shiver of passionate vanity, wrath, and longing passed through her as her tall frame stiffened. "'There are model squires, of course,' she said slowly, striving at least for a personal dignity which should match his. "'There are plenty of landowners who do their duty as they understand it. No one denies that. But that does not affect the system. The grandson of the best man may be the worst.' but his one-man power remains the same. No, the time has come for a wider basis. Paternal government and charity were very well in their way. Democratic self-government will manage to do without them. She flung him a gay, quivering, defiant look. It delighted her to pit these wide and threatening generalizations against the Maxwell power, to show the air of it that she at least, father or no father, was no hereditary subject of his, and bound to no blind admiration of the Maxwell methods and position. Aldous Rayburn took her onslaught very calmly, smiling frankly back at her indeed all the time. Miss Boyce's opinions could hardly matter to him intellectually, whatever charm and stimulus he might find in her talk. This subject of the duties, rights, and prospects of his class went, as it happened, very deep with him, too deep for chance discussion. What she said, if he ever stopped to think of it in itself, seemed to him a compound of elements derived partly from her personal history, partly from the random opinions that young people of a generous type pick up from newspapers and magazines. She had touched his family pride for an instant, but only for an instant. What he was abidingly conscious of was of a beautiful wild creature struggling with difficulties in which he was somehow himself concerned, and out of which, in some way or other, he was becoming more and more determined, absurdly determined, to help her. "'Oh, no doubt the world will do very well without us some day,' he said lightly, in answer to her tirade. "'No one is indispensable. But are you so sure, Miss Boyce, you believe in your own creed?' I thought I had observed, pardon me for saying it, on the two or three occasions we have met, some degenerate signs of individualism? You take pleasure in the old place, you say? You were delighted to come and live where your ancestors lived before you. You are full of desires to pull these poor people out of the mire in your own way. No, I don't feel that you are thoroughgoing. Marcella paused a frowning moment, then broke suddenly into a delightful laugh, a laugh of humorous confession which changed her whole look and mood. Is that all you have noticed? 
if you wish to know, Mr. Rayburn, I love the laborers for touching their hats to me. I love the schoolchildren for bobbing to me. I love my very self, ridiculous as you may think it, for being Miss Boyce of Mellor. Don't say things like that, please, he interrupted. I think I have not deserved them. His tone made her repent her jibe. No, indeed, you have been most kind to me, she cried. I don't know how it is. I am bitter and personal in a moment when I don't mean to be. Yes, you are quite right. I am proud of it all. If nobody comes to see us and we are left all alone out in the cold, I shall still have room enough to be proud in. Proud of the old house and our few bits of pictures and the family papers and the beaches. How absurd it would seem to other people who have so much more but I have had so little, so little. Her voice had a hungry, lingering note. And as for the people, yes, I am proud too that they like me, and that already I can influence them. Oh, I will do my best for them, my very best, but it will be hard, very hard, if there is no one to help me. She heaved a long sigh. In spite of the words, what she had said did not seem to be an appeal for his pity. Rather, there was in it a sweet, self-dedicating note, as of one going sadly alone to a painful task, a note which once more left Aldous Rayburn's self-restraint tottering. She was walking gently beside him, her pretty dress trailing lightly over the dry stubble, her hand in its white ruffles hanging so close beside him. After all her prophetess airs, a pensive, womanly thing, that must surely hear how his strong man's heart was beginning to beat. He bent over to her. Don't talk of there being no one to help. There may be many ways out of present difficulties. Meanwhile, however things go, could you be large-minded enough to count one person here your friend? She looked up at him. Tall as she was, he was taller. She liked that. She liked, too, the quiet, cautious strength of his English expression and bearing. She did not think him handsome, and she was conscious of no thrill, but inwardly her quick, dramatizing imagination was already constructing her own future and his. The ambition to rule leapt in her, and the delight in conquest. It was with a delicious sense of her own power and of the general fullness of her new life that she said, I am large-minded enough. You have been very kind, and I have been very wild and indiscreet. But I don't regret. I am sure, if you can help me, you will. There was a little pause. They were standing at the last gate before the miry village road began, and almost in sight of the little vicarage. Aldous Rayburn, with his hand on the gate, suddenly gathered a spray of traveler's joy out of the hedge beside him. "'That was a promise, I think, and I keep the pledge of it,' he said, and with a smile put the cluster of white seed-tufts and green leaves into one of the pockets of his shooting-jacket. "'Oh, don't tie me down,' said Marcella, laughing, but flushing also. "'And don't you think, Mr. Rayburn, that you might open that gate?' "'At least we can't get the scissors and the wires unless you do.'" End of chapter 4